youth and adults, um, keep them turned down. And if you need a pen, uh, let me know. I have pen. Good morning. Welcome to our service this morning. Don't get hot. Thank you, Mark. Does everybody have a piece of paper that needs one? How many people know what this is? A few people. It's an archery bow brand. You can turn your paper over and you can write down what you think about my appearance this morning. You can write it down from the perspective of the type of situation it is, or you can just simply write it down from the perspective of what you see when you see this. Is that clear? I'll be back. All right, that's, this is, that's what the second section on the paper is for. And again, same criteria. You can write it down for what you see when you just see this, or you can write it down considering the situation and the environment that we're in right now. You'll have a little bit more time to write, so. All right. Really? Thank you. I didn't have to remember that with the t-shirt. I'd like to welcome each one of you to the service this morning and say I'm glad that you're here worshiping the Lord with us. I have just a quick word for our visitors this morning. We have a few of them. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Um, we are currently working through a series of messages on separation and nonconformity. And this is part of that series of messages. So you're kind of jumping into that. Um, and I want to say to you this morning as visitors that this message I designed with the congregation in mind. So the things that I say this morning, I'm saying to the congregation, not particularly to you. But if you're blessed and challenged by it this morning, praise the Lord for it. Um, and we're glad that you're here to participate in the service and want you to feel welcome in that. To the congregation, I may say some things this morning that you don't agree with. And I'm happy to discuss those things with you. But my goal with the message is not to say controversial things or do them for that matter. My goal with the message is to stimulate your mind and your thinking about in a specific area of your life. The title of the message is Your Coffee Mug. Now, as you can see, we have a colorful congregation. I ask people to bring their favorite coffee mugs this morning. And there's a reason for that. Maybe I'll start out with Maybe I'll say this. Did any of you, how many of you brought coffee mugs? Okay, pretty good number. That's good. If you drink something from a cup or if you drink anything, how many of you want the cup to be clean? 
I am going to select some coffee mugs here. Uh, we have a lot of them, so I'm not going to select all of them. I'm just going to kind of pick a few at random. And I would like for the people who own that cup to say their name and then say a reason why this is their favorite coffee cup. Okay? I like the cheerfulness. Happy holidays, it says. Great Smoky Mountains. It says Puerto Rico on it, for those of you who can't read that far. <laughs> it's not because of Haldeman hydraulics particularly. That's good. This one caught my eye. There you go. That's good. And this one's mine. They hold lots of coffee. And this one is distinct from mine in the sense that it's class of 2022 Berea Christian. So that one's more special to him than this than, than this one is to him, even though they're very similar. I like these mugs because they don't spill easily. They hold a lot of coffee and they don't spill easily. The small diameter of the top tends to chase the splashes in instead of letting them come out the top. So that's why I like that coffee mug. So we have a colorful congregation. We have people who like a lot of different things. And that comes out. We've got a mom, the best in the world here. We have a Texas mug here from, I'm guessing, someone who lives in Virginia. But we have a colorful congregation. Jesus said this in Matthew 23. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Jesus wasn't particularly speaking about their cup. I noticed most of you pretty much raised your hand when I asked if you wanted a clean cup. Um, probably if your favorite coffee mug is dirty, you're going to choose another coffee mug to drink out of. But one thing that's interesting about coffee mugs is that the outside of the coffee mug always says a little bit of something about the owner. Now, it might be different with each owner, the reason why they would like the mug, and maybe they like it for, a multiple, for multiple reasons. But it always says something about them. And so we, as a congregation, are every bit as colorful as this display right here. In the sense of our likes, our dislikes, our personalities, and the way we present ourselves in the world. But I'd like to get down to what is really the focus of Jesus' comment here or his statement he's challenging the pharisees that they need to be a genuine person that they need to be the same within and without that what is inside needs to match the outside he's saying that simply cleaning the outside of the cup is not sufficient 
He's not particularly saying that the outward appearance of the Pharisees in itself was wrong. But it was the fact that it was being used as an attempt to portray something that was not on the inside. It was hypocrisy. These cups here in front of me say something about relationships, some of them. Some of them say something about personal likes. Some of them say something about memories, places they have been. And those things that are part of who we are tend to come out in our expressions of life. As in, having favorite coffee mugs. They say something about what is beautiful to us, what is significant to us, what is comfortable, what is practical, what is meaningful. We sang a song just before, just after Sunday school here, Gentle Holy Spirit, and talked about in that song the things that the Holy Spirit, we wanted the Holy Spirit to do to us. And the last verse, the last part of the last verse said, all I think and do, that it would guide all that I think and do. Our bodies are the vessel of the Holy Spirit as Christians. And the way that we adorn our bodies is indicative of the work that's happening inside or what is happening inside. So I gave you a little bit of time to write about the two different ways that I dressed this morning. Had you been given no warning at all, I'm sure you would not have expected me to come dressed that way. Maybe it's partly because I never have in the past. But in any of you, on either one of those sections, did you write that it made you think conservative Christian pastor? Nobody did. How about Buddhist monk? How about police officer? Could I, would anyone be uh, brave enough to read something they wrote for the first, in the first, um, the first, about the first set of clothing. That's what it said to Franklin, okay? Loyalty to the company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you. That's good. Okay. How about the second one? Rebellion. Okay. Confrontational. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. Somebody you find in the gym. So, disrespectful to other people. Yeah. So, we have, when we, when we go to any kind of an event, we go with an expectation of normal. And regardless of what the, I mean, not regardless of the circumstances, but with each circumstance, there's kind of this criteria of what normal is, and, and we will dress according to what we think would be normal for the situation. 
but I'm a pastor. I came this morning to preach the sermon, but none of you all thought that was normal for a pastor for preaching a sermon. At least not a pastor here. But was I in those clothes not the same person that I am here right now? Yes. But am I portraying the same thing? No. And so what we wear portrays something about what we think, about the circumstance, and about who we are. And what our responsibility is. So every culture and every society has these understood expectations. The reason why you didn't write Buddhist monk was because I wasn't dressed like a Buddhist monk. They dressed very distinctly. But a Buddhist monk will dress like a Buddhist monk because that's how he understands and perceives his identity. That's who he is, and he dresses like that to be who he wants to be or who he believes he is. To identify with that norm. In the broader society that we live in, there's these expectations and norms that are set in motion, oftentimes by significantly important people, but also simply by the, the things that catch people's eye, the things that are important to people. Those are the things that direct the broader society. So I'll give you an example of that. Address is feminine attire in our society. Now, you might say, well, not all women wear dresses, and that's true. But if you go to the restroom and you look at the sign on the restroom door, the ladies' restroom will have a person wearing a dress. It's an understood norm that feminine attire is a dress. That's, you know, doesn't mean that everybody, every woman wears it or every woman has to wear a dress. That's just an understood norm in our society. Now, for a formal event where a woman is, is going to a formal event, she would just about always wear a dress to a formal event, unless it's business-related. And then she won't particularly. See how we're talking about norms? Talking about expectations that people have and people dress to meet those expectations. So we do that in part because of how we want people to perceive us. But we also do it in part because of who we believe we are. So our, the way that we appear and the way that we dress is very conditioned by what we believe. I'm going to talk just a little bit about the clothes that the two different sets of clothing that I put on just a little bit ago. And what they could possibly say, well, one thing that they don't say one thing that neither one of them said was that I was a pastor who was getting ready to preach a sermon. So my clothing did not express 
what I was here to do. And you all recognize that difference without being told. Another thing that it says, uh, Franklin said archery enthusiast, it says, I'm a hunter. That has social implications because there's plenty of people in our world today that are not particularly in favor of hunting. And so my attire could offend someone who is not in favor of hunting. Brand loyalty came up. I like a specific brand. That sweatshirt was given to me when I worked at the archery store by the salesman because I shoot that brand of bow and he wanted me to wear it in the shop so that I would show my loyalty to the brand. Not just shoot it, but show it, wear it. The second uh, set of clothing said several things. The backwards hat in our culture is a message of casualness and indifference to societal norms. So it is what sparked a fair amount of the idea of rebellion in your comments in response to that set of clothing. The t-shirt bespoke casualness, um, general, generally worn and used in casual type of circumstances. The writing on the T says, you're stupid. And that's disrespectful to every person you meet. So if I were to wear that shirt out in public, everybody that looked at that T and read it, I would be saying to them, you're stupid. Which in turn is saying, I'm smarter than you, which is a statement of arrogance. I would not want to be caught wearing that T-shirt in public, which is what I just did to make a point. But you don't believe that that's me, do you? Because you know that that's not the way that I present myself. So you had to make a decision this morning. What is my true identity? Am I a Christian pastor who sold out for the Lord? Am I a hunter whose passion is archery and brand loyalty? Am I a disrespectful and rebellious young man who doesn't like, uh, young, maybe not, um, who doesn't like uh, societal norms and thinks I'm better than most of the other people in this room? You have to make a decision when you see me wearing clothing, you will use that at least at some level to make a decision about the type of person that I am. So this morning, you saw me wearing three different types of clothing, and you have to make a decision about what kind of a person I really am now that you see me presenting myself differently. But what you wear, what I want to get to, and what I'm trying to bring to the fore with this is that what you wear is a statement of your identity. And then the question is, what identity statement do you want to make? And then the question is, what is your identity? Because you really need to figure out what your identity is to make the proper presentation of yourself. We might try to present ourselves as something and not be that at all. And I think that often happens in our world. People will try to present themselves uh, like a movie star or like this person or like that person, but that's not really who they are. 
They just desire to be like them, even though they're not. And so the answer to your question is, what is your identity? The answer to the question, what is your identity, depends on how you understand your identity. And as a Christian, our identity, and this is why I spent a whole sermon talking about identity, our identity is in Christ. We are His. We are not our own. This is Paul talking to the Colossians. He says, Wherefore I made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God. Now I want to stop there and I want to say that Paul's ministry to the Colossians was to fulfill the Word of God. What does that mean? Does that mean that he was to write a letter to the Colossians that would go in this book? No. It means that the Word of God would become part of their lives and it would be fulfilled through the Colossians because of Paul's ministry. And then he goes on to talk about it. So he says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. There's a mystery. Colossians 1, 25 through 27. That was a mystery that's been hidden for ages past and now is made manifest or made brought to light is what manifest means, or made available to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christian's identity is fully Christ in you. The clean cup that Christ is talking about, that the outside may be clean also, is Christ in you. It's a life that has been washed and purified and been empowered by the Holy Spirit to make new the outside of the cup. And the manifestation of the Christian's life should be a manifestation of Jesus Christ, the identity of Christ lived out in the world. And the New Testament, brothers and sisters, is just time and time again, it just brings that whole idea out. You have been made a new creature. You've been changed. You have been made alive. All that kind of language. And then almost always it's followed by the idea that the purpose of that is that your life, your being, your outward expression of who you are would manifest Christ, would manifest the will of God. And so, here's another one. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our interest... Our interest in our appearance as Christians is not ourselves. Our interest in our appearance is Christ. Do I represent Christ to the world around me? And how do I do that? Well, Dana and I have a Dana and I have a closet, a walk-in closet, and it's got a rail on each side. And she hangs her dresses on the one side and I hang my 
pants and shirt on the other side. No, my shirts, my pants are in the So she doesn't, she doesn't keep my shirt sorted at all. She just leaves them totally random in there. And the way that I decide what to wear is I close my eyes and go into the closet and I just grab one. Whatever I come up with, that's what I wear. Doesn't matter what the event or occasion, doesn't matter if it's an everyday shirt or an old shirt. That's just the way that I decide what to wear. I figured that's the easiest way to do it. That takes me out of the way the most, right? No, none of that's right. And you know it's not right. I go in there and I pick out a shirt for the occasion. For Sunday morning, I pick out a Sunday shirt. I have this these different shirts. And I pick them out based on the occasion. So what am I saying with that? Well, one of the things I'm saying is that we don't choose our clothes randomly. We decide what we're going to wear. We make a choice about what we wear. And those choices demonstrate at least a little bit what we value and what's important to us. And before you say, you know, I don't care what I wear, don't be so sure. Because that means that not caring what you wear would be a random choice like that. It wouldn't mean that you'd pick stuff outside of the societal norms. Because people pick stuff outside of the societal norms, but they care very much about what they wear. And so it's not that they don't care about clothing, about how they appear. It's that they don't care about the societal norms. And we do care. And there can be right and wrong motivations for why you choose the things that you choose. And I don't have time to get into that aspect of it. But one thing that I do want us to think about is that when we make our choices for clothing, we consciously choose how we present ourselves. We are, we are well, maybe even, maybe sometimes subconsciously choosing how we present ourselves in each situation. And by doing that, we are setting a tone in our own minds about who we are. So when you go into that closet and you pick out something for a specific event, you are thinking about yourself in relation to that event. And how will I fit with this event? And I will fit with this event with this shirt or this dress. And that's how I'll fit into this event. And so we're setting a tone for how we actually think about ourselves during that event, but also how we think others think about us. So I'm going to give you something to think about. You can't dress wrong and think right. There's a two-edged sword in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. One of them is the pressure of culture that comes in on you to influence you about how you should be and do. And the Scripture there is saying, be not conformed to this world. The other side of the sword is that there's the power of Christ working in you, transforming you, that's saying, be conformed to the will of God. Conform yourself to the will of God. And I would like to challenge you this morning that there has to be a conscious recognition and application of both of those principles. 
So there has to be both a conscious recognition that I don't want to be like the world and a conscious recognition that I want to be like Christ. And then there has to be a follow-through in how that is lived out. We have to apply that. That's what application is. Another way to say that verse is don't let the world press you into its mold. And uh, as far as the, the idea of not, not being conformed, and I like that idea because it makes me think about a butter mold, which you take soft butter and you press the mold from the outside. And it doesn't really change the volume. It doesn't really change the butter itself. But the manifestation that is present when you open up the mold or lift the mold off is distinctly like the form of the mold that was pressed into the butter. And so what this is saying is don't let the world press its, make its impressions on you so that it changes your surface to look like me. Paul's speaking to Christians here. And then the second part of the verse, but go through a metamorphosis by the renewing of your mind. And the reason I use the word metamorphosis, it's when a, a worm changes into an insect or a, into a cat, uh, butterfly, a caterpillar into a butterfly. And uh, that is the Greek word. We get the word metamorphosis from the Greek word there that says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is metamorpho. Just where we get the word metamorphosis from. And the metamorphosis process is not a process where the bug just sprouts wings and or the worm sprouts wings and grows legs and turns into a turns into a butterfly. He makes a chrysalis and dissolves into that chrysalis into basically a mush and is transformed into a butterfly. And that is what this scripture is talking about. It's talking about you giving your life to Christ and there is a transformation process that happens after your worm has been made into mush, he creates a butterfly. And we would all say that a butterfly is much more beautiful than a caterpillar. So there's two aspects of this. Idea of the mind being renewed by God that I'd like to, I'd like to draw our attention to. The first one is the renewing of the mind, that we be like Christ free from sin and doing good. When the two people on the road to Emmaus talked about Christ, they said He went about doing good. And we know that He was free from sin. So in imitating Christ, we want to be free from sin and we want to be doing good. The second thing is that we build relationships that foster the opportunity to tell others about God. That we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so we want to, one of the things we want to do as Christians, as followers of Christ, is to let people know about Christ and about the beauty of following Him and walking with Him. Well, I had something happen to me some years ago that's rather embarrassing. And I tell it to you, not because I like to tell embarrassing stories about myself, but because it taught me a very valuable lesson. I had reached a place in my life where I was kind of my own man and I didn't have a lot of things 
restricting me. And I decided that I was going to make some changes in my appearance. I'm talking about being like Christ for good. And so I did. I had worn a button-up shirt all my life, basically, or a three-button to that point. And I decided I was going to quit that for every day, and I was going to wear a T-shirt. And the Spirit of God had been working in my life, and it had been guiding me and helping me to deal with some areas of sin. And one of the areas of sin that I was dealing with was looking with lust. And I had gotten to a place in my life where I really felt like I had dealt with that in a way that I was having good, consistent victory. Well, I switched to wearing a t-shirt for work, and it was over that time that I had a construction job. And I was in and out of town, driving around, whatever. And I started to realize that I was battling this issue again. And I started to backtrack, which is kind of a habit of mine. When, I'm, when I come to a place where I'm thinking about something, I start backtracking. And I start saying, why am I thinking about that? And I'll go back, oh, yeah, I was thinking about that, and, and travel on back. And what I realized was that the, the fact that I had had some distinctives of dress in my life had actually helped me to recognize and have a conscious recognition of the fact that I was different because I was a child of God. And when I gave that up, I started to think about myself differently and I started to wonder if the people that I was meeting just thought that I was a random person on the street. And that inadvertently made me start to think about them in a different way. So I made a decision. I made some changes in my life externally. And I want to challenge you this morning that if you want to have spiritual victory, you may need to make some practical, outward changes to your appearance to help you toward that victory. Because it does condition the way that you think about yourself. And it conditions the way that you think about other people. I might talk a little bit more about that later. But the root of thinking properly about who we are is about understanding and keeping the right focus on our identity. And we are children of God. And we must not forget that when we're relating to the people around us. And if we are conditioning ourselves by the way we present ourselves, we're con conditioning the way we think, then there must be ways that we can condition ourselves to think properly about ourselves in the world. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, um, or here, Peter, in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, is calling us to a, to a mindset, a kind of thinking. And then verse 14, which immediately follows that, says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Wait a minute. 
In those two verses, there's two references to the mind. One is a sober mind of a Christian that we're called to take on. The second is former lusts, which are the desires of the mind that are outside of God's plan before we were Christians, when we were ignorant. As obedient children, and I've said this before here, but I'll say it again. Obedient children are not children who obey because they have to. Obedient children are children who obey because they want to and because they want to please their parent. That's what an obedient child is. And a a child that obeys only because they have to is not really obedient. They may do what they're asked to do, but it's not what the parent is reaching for. A good parent is reaching to bring their child to a place where they obey because they want to. Because there's an appreciation and a value. And Peter is saying that because of your appreciation and value for Christ as obedient children, because you want to please the Lord, don't fashion yourself according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Don't dress like you dressed when you weren't a Christian. Interestingly enough, the word not conformed the two words, not conformed, two Greek words, not conformed in Romans 12, 2, are the same two Greek words exactly that make up this phrase, not fashioning yourselves according to. Identical, identical wording from Peter and Paul, both. Okay, the second one, the second aspect of our renewed minds, building relationships that foster an opportunity to tell other people about Christ. Relationships within the church are the most important relationships for for the Christian. Now, you might question that, but I'm going to give you a verse to follow up. Because the Bible says so. Galatians 6.10 As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now that, I'm not saying in any way that we don't care about people who aren't part of the church. I'm just saying that our church relationships are given a priority by Scripture. And that's important to understand later concepts that I'm going to share with you. I don't know that there was any instance where Jesus was challenged about the way He dressed. Maybe somebody does. But I don't know of any instance where He was challenged by someone about the way that He presented Himself, about His appearance. So that's an indication, it's not a guarantee, but that's an indication that he was well within the understood expectations of the religious community in which he circulated, the Jewish community. He was somewhere within that. And I would say, I would argue, that it's not, it's also an indication that he wasn't close to one edge or the other particularly. He was primarily well within those expectations of the religious community. And every culture has a spectrum of positions within any given expectation. So we're talking about dress this morning, and I want to say at this point that dress is only a small fraction of how we present ourselves. We present ourselves in so many ways. And I'm talking about dress this morning because it is an important aspect of who we are and how we present ourselves in the world but it's only a small part. So don't take from this message that dress is the only thing that's important to me. Absolutely not. But it is important. So I'm going to use one 
particular aspect of dress. And as an example, and that is casualness as opposed to formality. So let's say that we have a spectrum between 1 and 10 from casualness as 1 to 10 formality. The people in the center, the people at about 5, will have the most voice with the most people in that group of people. Well, why is that? Well, because they're not a threat at all within that spectrum of expectations. But the closer you get to the edge of the expectation, the more of a threat you become to the people at the opposite end of the spectrum. So within an expectation, the people who have the most voice are the people who are near the center of that expectation. Now hang with me. That's important because primarily things are changed not by us pushing lines, but rather by relationships. And because communication is one of the most vital parts of relationship, the ability to communicate, placing yourself where you have the ability to communicate, is probably the most likely possibility that you will get change to happen. Because you're able to communicate to a broader group within the culture. The people who are on the perimeters, whether they are thinking about it or not, are inadvertently calling for change in, in the under, understood perspectives. And so because of that, they tend to be create somewhat of a fear, but also have somewhat of a fear of people who are on the opposite side of the spectrum. My point is not that we should just bow to the wishes of culture. My point is that the way we present ourselves has meaning in relationships. And it's worthwhile within a culture to respect the culture enough to place yourself where you can develop relationships. Now that point has been misunderstood at times as being a point about how we as the church should relate to society. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we reach society not by becoming like society or gaining their mind, but rather by how we are of one mind ourselves and love one another. And so we do not reach the people around us by becoming like them. We reach them by reaching each other. I'd like to share with you, just to try to help you flesh out this point, I'm going to share with you some of my own personal convictions or positions along that spectrum of 1 to 10, formal versus casual. You may view me differently. If you do, I'd love, I seriously would, okay? But we generally have three basic, and they could be expanded and broken down probably, we have three basic types of interaction, events. We have formal events, like, church service, wedding, things like that. We have social events like picnics, get-togethers, so on. And we have everyday experiences. And 
we probably have sections in all of our closets that identify with somewhat with one of those three. And within this collection of those things, we have stuff that we would separate and say, well, if this is a little bit more formal based on this, then I would wear this little nicer piece to this social event. Or if it's a little less formal, maybe like a Wednesday evening prayer meeting or something, then maybe I wouldn't pick quite as good as I would for a Sunday morning worship service. So we, we have these grading systems that we use. But if our culture, if our church culture, and I'm speaking primarily of, of the confer- our conference as a whole, were a 1 to 10 from casual to formal. On formal, I'm a 6 to 7. On social, I'm a 7 to 8. Leaning towards the formal side. On every day, I'm an 8 to 9. And you'll wonder, why am, I, why am I getting so far away from the center on every day? Well, because I want the Scripture to be my guide, not the culture. And our culture, as churches, has a disparity between our formal attire and our everyday attire. We have more worldliness in our everyday attire more world-likeness in our everyday attire than we do in our formal attire. And we need to close that gap. I'm speaking primarily of men here, okay? Primarily of men. I'm a man, I'm speaking as a man. We need to not allow the culture to be our guide. But we also need to have respect for the culture. I will not convince anyone by going to a tent and just planting my feet and staying there to go in that direction. And the reason why I choose to be on the formal side is because I believe that there are principles that are important in relation to that, and I'm going to share some of them in a little bit, about who we are as Christians and how we present ourselves to the world. And I'm happy to discuss how you all see me at some point I would love to have individual interaction about that in relation to what I just shared about myself because that's how I learn from you. Okay. Men, I want to call you to man up in this area of appearance. And there's real reasons for that. We need to be leaders. And we are not leading in the area of appearance. I was at Costco some time ago and I saw a person and I thought, they look familiar, but I'm not sure who they are. And the man was wearing a t-shirt. The tail of the t-shirt was out, had some writing on it. I don't know what it was. He was wearing a pair of Baggy khaki pants with big side pockets. Guy. And about two aisles down, I saw him with his wife. She was wearing a nice dress, a nice long dress. She had a nice veiling on. She looked very formal. And he looked very casual. He was not leading the way for his wife. Shame on us 
if we expect our ladies to carry the weight of biblical nonconformity in dress and we just follow the world around us, I say shame on us. And I hope to give you some principles that you can apply to your life today that can help with that. Rise up, O man of God. Take the lead. One of the reasons why I feel like our churches are struggling to produce strong leaders and that we're losing so many of our young men is for this comparison. Spiritual development relates to identity. And when you are forced to carry a strong identity of who you are, there is a, a need to justify that distinction from the rest of society. To distinct, if, if you're going to wear a dress in a society that is giving up the dress, if you're going to wear a head covering in a society that has already given up the head covering, you're going to want reasons for why you do what you do. If you have none of those distinctives and you don't think about yourself as different from anyone else, you're not going to have reasons to ask those questions. And I think that's one of the reasons why our young ladies are maturing better than many of our young men. Because our young men are not taking a distinctive position on their identity as Christians. There's another reason. Responsibility is more of a choice for men than it is for women. This is not a point. This is not a Mennonite point. Quote, Mennonite point. It's true in every culture. When a woman has a baby, she has a responsibility that she has to take, essentially. Now, it doesn't mean that they always take that responsibility. But motherhood essentially forces a woman into responsibility. Men do not have that forced responsibility, if you, want to, if you can call it that for use of a better word. Men primarily have to take responsibility by themselves, by, of their own choice, of their own voluntary choice. I call us men to take responsibility and lead out. Men tend to think more independently than women do. That's probably not true across every every individual. But men have a tendency to think independently. And it's beneficial in some ways, but it also makes it more difficult for men to be able to collectively agree and follow through on community expectations. I think that's one of the reasons why we have more expectations for women in our church statements than we do it for men. And I call us to consider the reason for that and to voluntarily take responsibility in areas where we can lead out responsibly. There's a story in the Old Testament, this is shifting gears just a little bit, there's a story in the Old Testament about two young men who were the sons of Aaron. And I don't remember exactly what the, what the situation was, but they took strange fire into the tabernacle and they presented God with this strange fire to burn the tabernacle. And they died. They died as a result of, of transgressing the holiness of God. Those two young men found out the hard way that God is to be reverenced. 
And your life and my life is a representation of that same holy God. What kind of a life of reverence should we have? What kind of a reverence should we have to come in and worship Him collectively? And so as you can tell, my thoughts are shifting to how we think about how we present ourselves for worship. And I'm specifically thinking about collective worship. And the reason for that is because when we gather together publicly, we are gathering together to worship as a public display of our love for God. And so we are making a public display about how we think about worshiping God. Now, I believe that you can have a good devotional in your pajamas in your living room and meet with God. But you're not making a public display. You're not making a public demonstration of your love for God. And I'm not saying that we make a public demonstration that's something different from what's in the inside. But if we truly love God, that ought to come out in the way we present ourselves for public worship. i also tell you this, that the movement towards casualness in worship is being pressed on us primarily by two things. One is humanism and the other is the social gospel. Humanism has had a tremendous impact on Western culture since the mid, early mid-1800s. And that humanism is part of the thrust that is changing our culture. And we need to recognize that and make the Bible our guide, not the influence of culture. The social gospel is coming out of a result of that humanism. Again, the Bible needs to be our guide. Okay. I want to say at this point that I don't believe in nonconformity for the sake of being different. I don't think that that works. Nonconformity is not about being different. It's about being like God. It's not about just being different. It's about displaying the will of God. And so what we need to look for, what we need to find is the will of God for how we dress. Not just say, well, because they're, they've got green hair, we'll have purple. So can someone tell me some principles in Scripture that would affect dress, that, that should affect the way we dress? What's that? Okay, thank you. So we bear the image of God. Yeah, yeah that's good. I, am, I apologize. I just looked at the clock and realized how severely I am over time. I will try to move quickly. Modesty. Simplicity. Avoid fashion. Avoid extra adornment. Sobriety. Those are the five that I had listed down. Now maybe you can tell me some more and I can add them to my list. I'm going to tell you real quickly the importance of each one of those. Modesty. My face, my smile should be the contact point for a person. The first thing they see when they look at me should not be what I'm wearing or what my body looks like. Same with simplicity. Very similar idea. We're not trying to show people how fancy we are. We're not trying to show people how fashionable we are. 
We're not trying to show people how rich we are, which is what adornment, extra adornment is. Sobriety. Serious, clean-cut, approachable. I, ch- I chose to wear a button-up shirt for these reasons. It's modest, it's simple, and it's understood in our society as being a way to present yourself in a serious, forthright manner in our society. And maybe this would be a good time to say that God does not particularly want us to disannul all expectations of our culture, but rather that His will would come forth out of our culture. So as there are expectations that our culture has, we apply God's Word to those expectations. Sometimes those expectations run somewhat parallel, like we eat meals three times a day. But the difference is that we pray before we eat, whereas some people don't. And so there's a distinctive there. God's will comes forth out of that tradition of eating three meals a day. We, I talked about earlier the expectation that ladies wear dresses. We want to demonstrate to our, um, we want to demonstrate to our society that our women embrace, accept and embrace their feminine nature, who they are as women. We want men to identify as men because that's the way that God created us. And so we take those and we apply the biblical principles to them. Is my shirt modest? Okay. So I've done this before here, but many of you haven't seen it. So I'm going to start bringing my hand up my arm. And when I get to the place where it would no longer be modest if that was the length of the sleeve, you raise your hand. Okay? Everybody's hands up yet? (laughs) Most hands are up for sure. Some hands are pretty low, so I don't know. So does it matter what you all think? It really doesn't. What matters is what God thinks. What does God think is modest shirt? Well, part of what God... I believe a very good place to start would be something like this. When your clothing draws attention to your body instead of the beauty of Christ in you, it is not modest. So for a man, somewhere that arm is going to begin to show his masculine strength. And so people are going to be visually attracted to his masculine strength, not that contact point of his face. But are you listening to God speak? Are you really looking in the Scripture and saying, God, how do you want me to dress? How do you want me to present myself to the world? Because God doesn't like excuses. Separation versus practicality. Adherence to the principles of God's Word should win over practicality every time. We need to apply the principles of God's Word to our lives and that should win out. I should never choose comfort over what best represents God in my world. Real quickly, what are some things that men should consider? Titus 2.2, that the aged men be sober, which means circumspect, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity, and patience. So older men, consider carefully, whoever you are, consider carefully what you wear. You're to be circumspect about what you wear. 
Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. That means right-minded. Life is serious business. That same word for sober-minded is used in 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. The end of all things is at hand. Do you really believe that Christ is going to return one day? And that He's going to have a message for those who have not followed Him? Do you really believe that it's important to get that message out? How are you going to live? Are you going to live seriously in light of that reality? Because that is right. That's the truth. The truth is that Christ is coming back and that life is serious business and you only have a certain amount of time. Are you going to live seriously? Then you better present yourself seriously. And that idea of seriously is not casual. It's the opposite of casual. It doesn't mean, and that's part of what is the principles that I'm bringing out in this idea of not living casually. While I end up more on the spectrum of formal than casual. Are you a walking billboard? And if you are, what is it for? Is your brand loyalty more important to you to present to the world than your person who has been changed by Christ? What about hats? We believe that women should have their head covering covered and we apply that to all of life. But what does that mean for us who should have our heads uncovered? I'd like to encourage you that hats should not be worn for things that, that they're not necessary for. I think we're violating the principle of 1 Corinthians 11 if we're using hats for to display something or to get a certain look or something like that. If you're using them for sun protection or head protection or something like that, I have no problem with it. I wear a hat for things like that. But I think we need to be careful that we're not inconsistent in calling our women to wear half-covered heads. And we do not follow that same passage ourselves. What principles for the ladies? Ladies, there are two kinds of beauty that you possess. One of them is a beauty of modesty. One of them is a beauty of sensuality. Your beauty of sensuality was created for your husband. And pub public displays of sensual beauty attract lustful men. Your modest beauty was created for the glory of God in public. It brings attention to God, appreciation from godly people, and protects you from lust. Just be aware of that. Your covering is not the symbol. It's your covered head that is the symbol. I've been blessed by movement toward larger coverings and more opaque cloth. Because that's really what the principle is talking about. It's talking about a covered head that is a symbol. Something practical to consider is my covering visible from almost every angle? Men, think carefully about identity and responsibility. The Bible specifically tells you of all ages, men, to be sober, serious about life. Ladies, think carefully about beauty. 
Do you want people to see you or Christ? Women are specifically told to be modest. And just because cloth is covering something doesn't make it modest. Are you this morning a servant of Christ this afternoon? Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but shewing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. May we in everything adorn the doctrine of Jesus Christ, our Savior. God bless you.